Coming up on today's show, ding dong, the King and the Lakers are dead. It's good to see the kid back at third for the Buckos. We had some overtime drama last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the NHL actually, for once, drops the hammer on a player for a dirty hit. And today being Friday... That means my main man, Joe Shuda, has another Rush Friday feature for us coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. He will catch up with former major leaguer, former pirate, Lyle Overbay. It's good stuff from Overbay in our Rush Friday feature coming up again in the 7 o'clock hour. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off another essential work day. Wrap it up. Another essential work week. Hold on one second. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, it is encouraged. Our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. That's my personal page. Our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them anytime you want. Feel free to drop me a line. Got a question, comment, opinion on anything we talk about, anything you want to talk about. And we'll do some serious sports jawboning. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercial. So if you miss any part of any show, you can go back, get on the app, find our podcast page, and listen to anything that we've done ever, ever. So there you go. All right, uh, let's kick off today's show. As we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Pirates and Jacob Stallings had themselves a fish fry at PNC Park. Line drive to left field. This is going to get down. Jacob Stallings, the cheetah, just doubled in. One, two, and three runs. How about that? Jacob Stallings on a 1-2 pitch, rips it in the left to clear the bases, and the Bucks lead it now 5-3. How many times has he come through in these clutch moments since he's been a Bucko? Greg Brown and Bob Walk the call on AT&T Sportsnet, 5-3 the final, as Stallings' three-run double in the eighth inning proved to be the game winner. Buckos beat the Marlins. Richard Rodriguez worked the ninth for his seventh save. Brian Reynolds homered and key Brian Hayes, fresh off the injured list, had two hits for the Bucks, who snapped a three-game losing streak. Elsewhere, the Braves used a four-run sixth inning to beat the Nationals 5-1 and earn a split of their four-game series in Atlanta. Dansby Swanson had a two-run homer as part of that sixth inning, and he extended his career-best hit streak to 12 games. Patrick Corbin 
was on early. He allowed just two hits over five scoreless innings, but could not get out of that sixth inning. He gave up four runs to leave his ERA at 6.28. The Nationals, and we talked about their struggles pitching yesterday. They are now 6-24 this season when scoring three or fewer runs. Now, I understand in today's day and age of baseball, you probably won't win many games when you score three or fewer runs. But that's when you need your pitching to step up. And the Nationals just aren't getting it this year, 6-24, and 24, when scoring three or fewer. And the Orioles were off yesterday. They opened a weekend series tonight against the Indians at Camden Yards. In high school baseball in the West Virginia Class A sectionals, Hayden Baldwin tossed a no-hitter as Petersburg beat Moorfield 4-0. Baldwin struck out nine and was one error away from a perfect game. Elsewhere, and I don't know how you pronounce this kid's last name, so I apologize. It's either Spear or Spire. Braden Spire, we'll call it Spire for now, had four hits, including a tie-breaking solo homer in the seventh to give Mountain Ridge a 10-9 upset over Northern. Evan Cook had a two-run double and a two-run single for the Miners, who improved to 3-4. and four. Uh, Jake Rush hit a grand slam for Northern, which fell to 13-2. and two. In high school softball in the Class A sectionals, Kim Minnick allowed just one hit and struck out 12 as Petersburg blanked Moorfield 17 to nothing. Jenna Burgess hit a two-run homer, and Minnick helped her own cause with a two-run shot of her own as the Vikings outhit the Yellow Jackets 17 to 1. And in college bat, I have uh I got the old salivary glands working overtime this morning. I got spit flying everywhere. It's pretty disgusting, actually. I just wanted to say that. I don't want to sound. <laughs> I don't want to sound. I don't. I don't want to slur my words on the air, but I can't help it. I don't even have my coffee here anymore. It's gone. I finished it already, so I can't blame the coffee. I just uh, got a little. I don't know something going on here. Anyway, in college basketball, West Virginia released its non-conference schedule for the upcoming season. The Mountaineers will play 13 games outside of the Big 12 including the backcourt brawl against Pitt. Uh, Mountaineers will host the Panthers on November 12th. Of course, that game last year was postponed, canceled because of uh, the COVID. Other non-con games include against uh, UConn, Eastern Kentucky, three neutral site games at the uh, Shriners Children's Charleston Classic in South Carolina, and an undetermined SEC team in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And that is your walk around the region brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. And and really looking at that non-conference schedule, not exactly what you would call a murderer's row for the Mountaineers. And it's something that comes into play when you're talking about late in the season, NCAA tournament, trying to figure out what teams belong where in each region. You know, it could be the difference between a three seed and a four seed, strength of schedule. Looking at it on the surface, this is not a really difficult 
non-conference schedule for the Mountaineers. They open at home against Oakland. And I think that's the team in Michigan, right? Is it Oakland, Michigan? Then they have the game against Pitt, which, okay, it's a big game for you know rivalry's sake, but Pitt's just not that good. They lost pretty much everybody from last year's team, which wasn't that good. Then you look at the games we know about, Eastern Kentucky. And most of these games, by the way, are at home. Let me let me just say, Oakland, Pitt, Eastern Kentucky, Bellarmine. Is it Bellarmine? Bellarmine? Does it matter? Radford, UConn, which, all right, I guess that's decent. Kent State, Youngstown State. All those games are in Morgantown. And all of that, not really that impressive. I'm sorry. Then they go on the road at UAB. They could pick up a good game in that Big 12 SEC challenge. That'll be uh, late January. So they could pick up a, a decent SEC team, right? That, that could be a big game, big win possibility. Then really all that's left is that Shriners uh, Children's Classic in uh, South Carolina. Those games have yet to be determined, but they could play uh, a Clemson team, all right? They, they could play Marquette in that Classic. Ole Miss, decent last year. St. Bonaventure made the tournament. Temple. So there's possibilities there for the Mountaineers to pick up some, some decent opponents uh, in that tournament over Thanksgiving. But overall, and I understand the Big 12. Look, the Big 12 last year was the second-best conference in the country. All right? Maybe, arguably, the best conference in the country. So I understand you don't want to kill yourself with a tough uh, non-con schedule. I, I get that. I understand that. But how about one? How about one game that raises the that that could raise the eyebrows of the selection committee in March? How about one game? I mean, where's it where's it going to be? And we're looking down the road, and I think the Mountaineers will be good enough again to make the NCAA tournament this coming season. I know it's June. We're talking college basketball. That's okay. They'll be good enough to make the tournament. So when you're sitting there and you're talking about, you know, the difference between being a four seed or a five seed or a five or a six, or maybe an eight, nine, or maybe the difference between playing in the East region and the West, or you know, being shipped out west. Where's the game in this non-conference schedule that's going to raise the eyebrows of the selection committee? Where's the big win going to come from? To put West Virginia over top somebody else. I'm just saying. I don't see it here. UConn could be a decent win. But again, that's in Morgantown. And UConn uh, this year isn't the UConn of old that we were used to seeing back in the old Big East. The best game they could possibly play in that, that Shriners Classic. The best team. Marquette. I mean, here, here are the teams. Here, here's the field. You got Boise State, Clemson, Elon. Had a better chance playing Elon Musk, Marquette. 
Ole Miss, St. Bonnie, and Temple. Where's the biggest win there? Is it Clemson? Is it Marquette? I, I, I'm sorry, I, that's a poor non-conference schedule. It's not, it's not earth-shattering, to say the least. Now, again, you know, they'll they'll, you know, they'll make their hay in the bit when once they start, you know, Big 12. Because you got Kansas twice. You got Oklahoma twice, Oklahoma State twice. We, we, we know the deal by now. But how about a little tougher schedule in the non-conference? That's, that's not very impressive at all. Uh, moving on to the Pirates real quick. Can't tell you how nice it was to see Key Brian Hayes back at third base for the Buccos last night. And here's a kid. He had been out since the second game of the season with a wrist injury. And I was telling you about this kid after he got called up last season. I was praising him up and down last year because I think the kid's going to be something special. He played just 24 games last year. Still, he hit 376 with five home runs. He comes off the IL last night, gets two hits, including a triple, and he made a couple Really nice plays at third, including uh, he robbed former Pirates, starting Marte, of an extra base hit down the third baseline that saved at least two runs. And it was a shot down the third baseline, and Hayes snagged it. And I said this last year after seeing him on a limited basis, and I'll say it again, he is already one of the best fielding third basemen in Major League Baseball. The kid is just smooth at the hot corner. And in a season that, look, let's face it, it's already lost for the Pirates. The season is lost. They're not making the playoffs. They're not contending for a wild card. The season's over. So as a fan, you're just looking for something. (laughs) You're looking for improvement somewhere. You're looking for a reason to watch. And a kid like Key Brian Hayes gives you that reason. You know, I got home from a track meet last night in North Marion, at North Marion. First thing I did was turn the power game on. Because I wanted to see Hayes play. And, you know, last night was that last night was his first game in front of actual Pirates fans. Because last year, of course, when he made his debut, fans weren't allowed. He, they played in empty stadiums. So last night, he was able to, you know, put on a show in front of I think the number was a little over 4,000 fans at PNC, like 4,100, a small number, of course. It's going to be small regardless. <laughs> the, cr- the crowd at PNC Park is going to be small if it's a, a COVID year or not. I mean, let's face it. But Hayes, to me, and of course, he's going to have off nights. He's going to go through slumps. He's going to go through str- – every, every player does that. Every player has slumps. But to me – a kid like Key Brian Hayes, he's worth the price of admission. I would buy a ticket, and I probably will later on this year once they go full capacity. Because I'm not messing around with, you know, sitting in certain sections. Forget that. Because they're going full capacity July 1st. After that, I'm going to buy a ticket. So I can go and sit anywhere and, and do whatever. But I will buy a ticket to go see Key Brian Hayes play. Of course, that'll be the day when he gets... Re- <laughs> That'll be the day when he gets a rest, right? 
Brian Reynolds, also hot for the Bucks. Oh, by the way, uh, he had a solo homer last night, his fourth homer in the last eight games. He now has eight for the season. And I cannot explain what it is about Jacob Stallings. And you heard the clip earlier, and you heard Bob Walk say it. Like, dude is just, he's clutch personified. Time and time again, this guy has come through with some late-inning heroics at PNC Park. And I, I can't explain it. I mean, this dude, really, unless you are the staunchest of Pirate fans, Pirates fans, whatever, He's a guy who really nobody even heard of up until a few years ago. Kind of just, you know, muddling his way through the minor league system, caught up a couple times, wasn't really anything to write home about. Like His biggest claim to fame was that he is the son of former Pitt basketball coach Kevin Stallings. And that ain't saying much considering the disastrous tenure that, that Kevin had at Pitt. But then here's Jacob. Takes over the starting catcher's spot last year. And there's nobody, and I mean not not even Key Brian Hayes. There's nobody in that Pirates lineup. Now, again, I understand the bar isn't set very high. But nobody I'd rather see at the plate in late-game situations than him right now. Not Adam Frazier, who's still, I think he's what, he's still leading Major League in hits. Frazier, as of a couple of nights ago, he still led the major leagues in hits. Maybe he does. I don't know if he does still or not. But it could be Frazier, not Reynolds, not Hayes. Jacob Stallings is Mr. Clutch. And he was again last night with a two-strike count, eighth inning, bases loaded. Just hammers the ball down the left field line for a double, clears the bases, and, and they go from 3-2 down to up 5-3. I can't explain it. Why all of a sudden he just he's just uh, crunch time. He's Mr. Mr. Clut- Jacob Stallings. Anyway, good win for the Pirates last night. Good win because they snapped a three-game losing streak. Uh, good win because they did it in front of former Pirates Starling Marte. It was good to see Marte back in Pittsburgh. It was. I think Marte was a uh, he was a fan favorite when he was there with Pittsburgh. Really good player for the Pirates, and they had to trade you know, like they usually do. They traded him away. <laughs> for some pieces of the future. Weird to see him back in the Marlins uniform, but good to see him back. And again, uh, he could have been the hero if it wasn't for Key Brian Hayes uh, at third base. So that's a little wrap on the Pirates last night. Nationals lost 5-1. to one. They split that four-game series. Nationals are just kind of spinning their wheels. They're just not really... It's one step forward, one step back. And it's, it's been that way for them all season long. A few more steps back than steps forward. But in a series against the Braves, you're fighting for, you know, trying to make up some ground in the NL East. They split a four-game series. So really, how much ground did you make up? Nationals still in last place. Still seven. When the series started, they were seven games out of first. They did pick up one game. So they're, they're six games out of first. But they're still in last place. Tied with the Marlins, as a matter of fact. Both of them are six games out of first. Mets are in first. Braves are three and a half back. Phillies are four back. And here's another big series coming up this weekend. Nationals and the Phillies. So here's another chance for the Nats 
to maybe gain some ground in the East, try to right the ship, get things right. Because so far, they're just, they're just, they're treading water. They're treading water. Slightly below the surface right now. And the pitching's got to be better. Uh, Scherzer goes tonight uh, for the Nats. He is usually very good against the Phillies. So we'll see what happens. And, oh, by the way, you can catch the game right here on this very station. Pre-game, I do believe uh, six. I have to check. I think it's six, six fifty, six thirty. I'll after the break. I'll let you know for sure. Speaking of which, time for a break. News, weather coming up. When we come back, some NBA playoff talk. Could the Lakers stay alive? Stick around. One hundred two point one FM, AM twelve thirty, WCMD. This is the morning rush. Couple things to square up from the last segment. Pre-game for tonight's Nationals-Phillies games is 6.35. Just wanted to clear that up. I wasn't quite sure last segment. It's 6.35. Catch it right here on WCMD. And the Pirates' Adam Frazier does indeed still lead Major League Baseball in hits. He has 72. One ahead of the Reds' uh, Nick Castellanos. And uh, the Nationals' Trey Turner is third with 67 hits. There you go. Wasn't quite sure if Frazier... Uh, still had the lead, uh, and he does, by one. Definitely a career year for Adam Frazier, which means he'll definitely be traded uh, sometime in July. Got some serious uh, heartburn going on this morning. And I know exactly why. Uh, the wife and I, Mrs. C and I, were at the uh, regional track meet at uh, North Marion uh, yesterday. And on the way home, we stopped at this place in Fairmont. It's an Italian restaurant. If you've never been, I highly suggest it. Now, folks around here pronounce it Muriel's. I can't imagine that's how you pronounce it. As an Italian fellow myself, I can't imagine that the owner of the place is Rocco Muriel. I have to assume it's pronounced Muriale. I have to. If it, I'm telling you right now, coming off the boat, it was pronounced Muriale, okay? If it's Muriel now, it's been Americanized. Like, my last name has been Americanized. The way you pronounce my last name now ain't the way it was pronounced when my grandparents came off the boat, all right? So, Muriale's, I have to assume that's how it's pronounced. But anyway, however you pronounce it, it doesn't matter. You can call it Frank's if you want. The food is excellent. It is out of this world excellent. If you love Italian food, if you're in the Fairmont area... Now, look, we have a number, a couple very good Italian joints uh, around here in this area, Adiviani's being one of them. But if you just happen to be in a Fairmont area, I would highly recommend Muriali's. Okay, I'm going to pronounce it that way unless I'm told otherwise by Rocco himself. Great atmosphere, great Italian food from the beginning salad all the way, all the way through. The staff, excellent, very polite, very quick. They're fast. However, point being, that's why I'm sitting here with heartburn this morning, because I am, again, a cursed Italian. Garlic gives me heartburn. No way, no way I am ever going to stop eating it just because of that. I just got to suffer through it. Got to suffer through it. What are you going to do? Of course, last night, uh, bittersweet for me. I talked about it earlier this week. Uh, you know, my son graduated uh, from Frankfurt on Sunday. 
last night was his very last uh, high school track meet. So very, very, you know, it's one of those emotional situations. Knowing that that was the last time he'll ever put on a Frankfurt uniform of any kind. So I washed it down uh, with a couple glasses uh, at Muriali's. So there you go. (laughs) All right, two games on tap last night in the NBA playoffs. Both potential closeout games out west. The Lakers were hosting the Suns. The defending NBA champs backs against the wall, trailing the series 3-2, trying to stay alive and force a Game 7 back in Phoenix. Now, after missing Game 5 with a growing injury, a game that the Suns won easily, Anthony Davis back in the Lakers lineup, but not for long. Booker retreats a few steps. I get a head of steam on AD, who's out there guarding on no man's land. He does. Booker drives the lane. Layup no good with the left hand. Rebound out through Schroeder to James. And to the other end, he goes one on two to score. Well, how about the blow by Booker? Misses an easy one, but how easily did he get by Anthony Davis? And he's over in the corner in front of the bench. He's got to be done. Davis is. Yeah, he, he's yeah. crunched over in pain. He can't go. He, he's, he's done. The call on ESPN Radio, and he was done. Davis played just five minutes, left the game, never came back. Zero points, one rebound. So with AD out, of course, the Suns, you know, they they smelled blood in the water, especially Devin Booker. Payne picks it up, gives a Kaminsky, top of the arc, hands it to Booker, deep three straight away. Oh, oh he my. got another one. Book it, 22. <laughs> For Devin Booker, and it's 33-12, to and another timeout has been called. That's right. You heard Sean Kelly correctly. <laughs> 22 points for Booker in the first quarter alone. He hit six threes in the quarter. Suns led 36-14 to after the first frame, led by as many as 29 in the first half. Now, look, the Lakers would eventually as they do in the NBA, come back. They cut it down to 10 in the second half, but they wouldn't get any closer than that. Suns win the game 113-100, to and they win the series four games to two, their first playoff series win since 2010. Booker ended up with 47 points on a ridiculous 15-of-22 shooting, including eight threes. And he pulled down 11 rebounds, just a dominating effort start to finish. And he spoke with the TNT crew after the game. We knew we weren't going to get to where we want to go without going through them. Um, and it happened to be in the first round. So, you know, it was a tough, tough matchup all the way through. You know, once they got us down 2-1, we had to re- regroup and get everything right. Um, and we came in and we battled. You've been a guy that people didn't get to see during this time of the year. How much did you want this moment, want this time for you to show everybody what you do on a national scale? I mean, I've been working my whole life for this moment. You know what I'm saying? You know, so it wasn't time to shy away from it. Um, You know, plenty hours of, you know, sacrificing, you know, a lot lot of life, you know, to this sport, you know, to this game. Um, You know, so I wanted to put it on full display tonight. Your second round opponent is going to be the Denver Nuggets. Mm-hmm. What are your initial thoughts of that matchup? They're tough. You know, they're playing hard. Um, they played a great series versus uh, Portland. Um, obviously, the head of the snake, Jokic, you know, having an MVP type year. Um, and it's going to be a battle, and we understand that going into it. Lakers are the sixth 
defending champ in NBA history to lose in the first round the year after winning the title. And for the first time ever, LeBron James bounced in the first round of the playoffs. He had been 15-0 and in the first round before this year. The record, by the way, was 16-0. and He ended up with 29 points last night, and here he is after the game. The season started so fast after leaving the bubble, obviously. The one thing that bothers me more than anything, we never really got an opportunity to see our, like our full team and full strength, either because of injury or COVID or, or something going on with our, with our ball club this year. We could uh, never fully get into a rhythm um, and never really kind of see the full potential of what we could, were capable of. And, um, you know, but, but all in all, you know, I give my hats off uh, to, to everyone on this team who uh, showed up every day to work, showed up every day to compete, showed up every day to put in the time and effort and, uh, and obviously fell short of our goal, but um, try to do everything we could to, to, to be as good as we could be, as great as we could be under the circumstances. And also give, uh, um, also want to, you know, shout out Phoenix too, uh, Monty Williams, Book, and that, and that team, they were, they were excellent throughout this series, all of them. Um, so, uh, much respect. Eh, sounds like a bunch of excuses to me. That's, uh, that's what it sounds like. Season started out fast after the bubble. Never really get it going. Had to deal with injuries. Had to deal with COVID and quarantine. Really didn't have to put it together. Well, guess what? So did everybody else. Everybody else had the same circumstances. Everybody else in the NBA had to start fast out of the bubble. Every other team had to deal with injuries. Every other team had to deal with COVID and quarantine. Not just the Lakers, LeBron. Quit making excuses. I know Anthony Davis was hurt. Obviously, that's huge. He couldn't go. Definitely a factor. But, hey, you know what? The Sixers didn't have Joel Embiid the other night, and they smoked the Wizards to win that game and end the series. Bottom line is, Suns were a better team top to bottom, especially with Davis out of the lineup. Here he is after the game. Just wanted to be out there for the team. You know, in a situation, when to go home. Uh, obviously didn't want to just lay down and not be able to do what I can. It never really felt good, but like I say, you know, I you know, once God just a competitive nature in me to go out and help the team you know, as best as I could. My body didn't agree. Team fought. I mean we fought, made runs, you know, guys left all I left it all out on the floor to, uh, tonight and uh we get ready for next year. You know, we get ready to have a full off season. Um, everyone hell up, especially you know the guys that say you hurt a lot this year. Fill your bodies, rush your bodies and, and get ready um, for next season. That's all we can do. That's what I'm going to do. Let the body heal and uh, get right back to it. Bottom line is, without Davis, Lakers couldn't get it done. He is a superstar, obviously. Huge factor in any game, in any series. Without him, any team would struggle. Bottom line is, without Davis, Lakers weren't good enough. Even with LeBron, who LeBron now isn't LeBron of old. And I think the Suns, probably a little chip on their shoulder since they were, you know, the underdog, since they were the second seed in the Western Conference. And they're the underdogs against a seven seed. A little disrespect there. So the Suns move on. Uh, Lakers don't. To put a cap on the game and this series, the guys who called the game 
right here on ESPN Radio last night, Sean Kelly and John Barry. The Lakers, the defending champs, are done eliminated tonight by the Phoenix Suns. The series goes four games to two, and the Suns won this one in particular, 113-100. And it was not as close as that, especially back in the first half. Phoenix came roaring out of the gates, led by as many as 29, and had a whale of a performance working from Devin Booker, who finished the night with 47 points. Yeah, he set the tone just like he did in Game 5. He had 18 points in that first quarter of Game 5. He gets 22 tonight, and this Phoenix Suns team was the better team. And uh, a lot of people felt uh, like they were more the seven seed than the two seed. They showed uh, that they are for real. What, we're one game behind Utah for the best record in the league. They beat good teams. They play good defense. They're solid on offense, top ten in both offense and defensive efficiency. Uh, they share the ball. They play together. They play hard. They play the right way. They deserve to win this series. Now, obviously, you're going to hear about Anthony Davis going out, and that's the total difference. But who's to say they don't win anyway? Uh, they had the 3-2 lead, and I think they were going to win a Game 7 regardless of Anthony Davis's condition. Uh, but nonetheless, they get it done on the road, Game 6, uh, and they move on. Hats off to Monty Williams and their front office for putting together a heck of a team. No doubts. Meanwhile, LeBron James, 29 points, John Barry, and he loses a first-round series for the first time in his career. He's just not the same guy, Sean. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, missed 26 of the last 28 regular season games. And uh, just never gotten rhythm. Just doesn't have the explosiveness. You can see it uh, at times around the rim uh, that he normally would finish with ease. Uh, it, it didn't happen for him. And this Laker group, and, and I said it going in, even to the play-in game, as they were fortunate to beat the Golden State Warriors uh, on that given night, that this team had no rhythm. The final again, 113-100. to 100. So the Suns move on to the Western Conference semifinals. We will have a new champ in the NBA this season. The old champs going home. The Suns will face the Nuggets in the next round. They took on the Blazers last night, and we'll go over that game next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Knocked out of his hands. He got it back. Throws it to Porter. He dumped it home. 22 first quarter points for Michael Porter Jr. And that's a problem for head coach Terry Stotts. Yeah, it was a problem for Terry Stotts and the Blazers. That was a call on Altitude Radio Network. Morning Rush rolls on on this Friday. And that was not a repeat clip from last segment. Last thing, we we talked about the Suns getting 22 points in the first quarter from Devin Booker. The Nugs got 22 in the first from Michael Porter Jr. against the Blazers. But Portland still led after that first quarter, led by seven at the half, and led by as many as 14 in the third quarter. But they couldn't hold the lead. Now, Porter would score just four more points after that first quarter. But the Nugs still had a guy named the Joker to pick up the slack. Lobs it on the elbow over to Michael Porter Jr. He's guarded by Damian Lillard. The shoot over him. He doesn't. Throws out of it to Joker. And a three. Yes! Man, that's large. (laughs) 108 to 106, Denver. 36 points for Nikola Jokic as Denver rallied in that second half to beat Portland 
126-115, and win the series four games to two. Nugs outscored the Blazers in the fourth quarter, 28-14. Doubled them up in the fourth quarter, only 14 points in the final frame. Damian Lillard, who put up that 55-point effort in the double overtime loss in Game 5, had 28 points, 13 assists in Game 6, and after the game, uh, he was left looking for some answers. I mean, we didn't win a championship, so obviously what, where we are now isn't good enough. I don't know what, what a shakeup looks like or uh, what changes will be made or could be made. Obviously, as is, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. You know, we came up short against a team without their, without their starting point guard and shooting guard. Uh, Will, Will Barton didn't play, and Jamal Murray didn't play, and we came up short. So, obviously, where we are isn't good enough to, to win the championship if it's not good enough for us to get out of a first-round series uh, with, you know, two of their best three or four players not on the floor. So, it'll be the Nuggets and the Suns. In the second round, the Western Conference semifinals, the Jazz are still waiting for their next opponent, and that answer could come as soon as tonight. The Mavericks hosting the Clippers for game six of that series, with the Mavs leading three games to two. Dallas trying to do something that no team in this series has done yet, and that's win a game at home. (laughs) The road team has won the first five games of the series which is incredible. So Jazz waiting on either the Mavs or the Clips uh, in the second round. There was a story that came out yesterday uh, as the Jazz sit around and wait that there is at least one fan that has hopped on the Utah bandwagon, and that is T. Morant, who is the father of Grizzly star Ja Morant. Now, we had the story a while ago that uh, T. Morant, and his wife, subject to some racial taunts and other absurdities at a Utah game. Three people were ejected, removed from the arena because of that. And there was a moment caught on video on camera right after Utah bounced the Grizzlies from the playoffs. T. Morant told Donovan Mitchell of the Jazz that he was rooting for Utah the rest of the playoffs. And he said that because of the way the organization responded to those three idiots who directed the racist and vulgar taunts towards John Moran's parents earlier in the series. So, T. Morant, on the Jazz bandwagon, because of the way Utah, and unfortunately Utah has had to deal with this more than once. That fan base quickly developing a terrible reputation. Isn't the first time this has happened in Utah, but the Jazz handled it quickly and swiftly. And T. Morant was heard telling Mitchell, hey, I'm going for y'all right now. Why? You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to show love to us like that. When stuff goes bad and you reach out, that's how you bridge the gap. Most people don't realize that. That's why I appreciate you, and that's why I hope the Jazz win the championship. End quote. So, T. Morant, there you go, rooting for the Jazz 
Because, I mean, the Jazz did the right thing. Much like the Celtics did with that moron who threw the water bottle at uh, Kyrie Irving. And that dude, oh, by the way, was arraigned on a felony charge on Wednesday. Did you hear about that? He was in court. He was ordered to stay away from TD Garden, home of the Celtics. He's being charged with assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, which carries a maximum sentence of 10 years in the clink and a $5,000 fine. In a statement by the district attorney, she said, quote, purchasing a ticket does not buy you a free pass for obnoxious, racist, or assaultive behavior. Imagine if a stranger showed up at your job and threw a water bottle at your head, end quote. So that 21-year-old in some hot water for just be, basically being a moron and throwing it. Now, look, you may say, oh, how was a water bottle you know, a dangerous weapon. Doesn't matter. I don't care if you threw a paperclip at him. You don't throw, <laughs> you don't throw things at people. And the DA was 100% right. How would you like it if somebody did it in your job? I told you this the other, way, or the other day. Like if somebody comes running through this building that I don't know, throwing stuff, hurling insults, they're getting clotheslined. And I'm going to put them in a figure four leg lock. Or Scorpion. I'm taking them out. You wouldn't want people doing it to you at your job, so why do you think as a fan you can go to a game and do it to a player doing their job? Now, this guy, he is not getting the maximum sentence of 10 years in prison for this. But I hope he gets something. Because he deserves it. Act like an idiot. Get treated like one. All right, our number one in the books. Hour number two, around the corner doing push-ups. Stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Taking your calls on the Rush line, 301-759-2628. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, Shamon, 301 301- 759-2628. Speaking of which, right off the jump here in hour number two, let's go to the rush line. You're up. Who's this? Hey, Tony. It's James. What's up? Hey, that's good timing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, I consider a water bottle a dangerous weapon. I mean, what if what if he had a family history of glaucoma and it hit him in the eye? It's possible. You're messing with his livelihood. Remember that lineman for the Browns? He got hit in the eye with the flag. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, oh, I think it was shoot. Orlando Brown, right? Yeah, it was. That's right. That's right. The, 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 the official threw the flag, hit him in the eye, and uh, caused some damage. I remember that. Yeah, because he, uh, he weighed his flags down with BBs instead of what they wanted, which was unpopped popcorn. Right. And he got he got glaucoma, and he, he was done. I remember that. I remember but, that. That's right. So that water bottle, I mean, if it hit him in the eye, it could have blinded him or cause glaucoma. So, yeah, I can see where that's a dangerous weapon. Yeah. Anytime you throw anything at, at, at anybody, like I said, it could be a paper clip, and you just don't do it. It's a stupid act, and, and it shouldn't be done. I wouldn't want to take a paper clip to the eye. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So, hopefully it sends a message to the other morons that show up to these games and think they can do whatever they want just because they paid for a ticket. Yeah, I mean, eventually it has to stop. I mean, 
I don't know what has to happen. Maybe this guy gets five years. Again, he's not going to get a long sentence if he's sentenced at all. Uh, maybe a fine slap on the wrist, but uh, something has to be done to deter this kind of behavior because it's getting out of hand. Absolutely. All right, Tony. Got to run. All right, brother. Later on, dude. Thanks for the call. Enjoy the weekend. 301-759-2628. James hopping on the rush line. What's perfect timing, too? How about that? And you just don't you don't do it. And I said this before earlier in the week. I've been to a million games. Never had the urge to throw anything at anybody. Like that goes deeper than just being uh, a passionate sports fan, right? You you got some wires crossed. You, you know it's it's you have some issues. If you think it's okay to go to a game and just throw stuff at people, right? That that to me that's more than just getting caught up in the moment. That means that you got some stuff going on that goes deeper than just being a sports fan. You need to get some help. You need to do some self-evaluation. Because normal people, <laughs> all right, civil people don't do that. People in the right frame of mind don't do that. Intelligent people don't do that. They don't go to games and throw water bottles at players or dump popcorn on players or spit on players. Well-adjusted people just don't do that. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen some well-adjusted people lose their stuff over sports. Okay, it, that turn, it turns people into a different, but I'm just saying, uh, there's got to be something going on in the background for you to do something like that and, and think it's okay. Whether it's running onto the field or onto the court. And we've seen, we've seen people run to a baseball field, you know, and try to get away from security. Everybody laughs. Oh, look at this guy. You know, and even Kevin Harlan, like, does play-by-play now. And it's usually some drunken idiot who's like, hey, I'm going to get on, you know, SportsCenter. Or watch this. I'm going to get it on Twitter. Watch me run across the outfield. You know, you're just being a bag. And all you're doing is holding up the game. Okay? And it's getting to the point where now where people don't even think it's funny. And we talked about the guy who ran into the court at Capital One uh, during the Wizards game, right? He, took, he jumped up and touched the backboard. And as he was being taken out of the arena, people were booing him. So people, we're not, it's not even funny anymore. It's not. It's not entertaining. It's not cute. <laughs> you know, I didn't pay good money for a ticket to see your dumb whatever run across the field or onto the court. I didn't pay money to sit there and and watch some other fan be a clown. I'm there to watch the game. I'm there to watch the players. And I've said this. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. If you can't go to a game, whether it's all the way from a little league game to a professional game, if you can't go to a game and act properly, just do us all a favor and stay home because we don't want you around. If you're a bad drunk, don't drink at games because you're going to do something stupid. It's that simple. It's that simple. All right. Ah, uh, I left off the phone number, right? Uh, we also got our podcast page. Don't forget about that in the free Podbean app. Upload every show every day. So, for instance, if you missed the last hour, we talked to NBA playoffs. 
The Lakers getting sent home. NBA champs are done. Suns move on. They'll take on the Nuggets. We talked about the Pirates, which uh, we'll get to right now, as a matter of fact, as we, one more time, rock around the region. I want to rock right now. The Pirates at home last night, kicking off a four-game series against the Marlins. And uh, Jacob Stallings had himself a little fish fry at PNC Park. Line drive to left field. This is going to get down. Jacob Stallings, the cheetah, just doubled in. One, two, and three runs. How about that? Jacob Stallings on a one-two pitch. Rips it into left to clear the bases. And the Bucks lead it now five to three. How many times has he come through in these clutch moments since he's been a bucko? Greg Brown, Bob walked the call on AT&T Sportsnet. 5-3 the final as Stallings' three-run double in the eighth inning proved to be the game winner. Richard Rodriguez worked the ninth for his seventh save. Brian Reynolds homered. Key Brian Hayes, fresh off the injured list, back at third base for the Bucks, had two hits, including a triple. Bucks snapped a three-game losing streak. Elsewhere, the Braves used a four-run sixth inning to beat the Nationals 5-1 and earn a split of their four-game series in Atlanta. Dansby Swanson, a two-run homer as part of that sixth inning. Uh, His hit streak, now a uh, career-best 12 games. Uh, Patrick Corbin allowed just two hits over five scoreless innings, and then things fell apart. He couldn't get out of the sixth. He gave up four runs to leave his ERA at 6.28. The Nationals are now 6-24 and this season when scoring three runs or fewer or less, whatever it is. Three or fewer runs, which means they're just not getting clutch pitching. And I, I said it earlier in the show, I understand in today's baseball, you probably won't win many games scoring just three runs or less. But every now and then your pitching has to step up. And right now the Nats pitching isn't doing it. The Orioles were off yesterday. They opened a weekend series tonight against the Indians at Camden Yards. In high school baseball, in the West Virginia Class A sectionals, Hayden Baldwin tossed a no-hitter as Petersburg beat Moorfield 4-0. Baldwin struck out nine and was an error away from a perfect game. Elsewhere, Braden Spire. Is it Spire or Spear? I apologize. Anyway, Braden went off last night. Four hits including a tie-breaking solo homer in the seventh to give Mountain Ridge a 10-9 upset over Northern. Evan Cook had a two-run double and a two-run single for the Miners, who improved to 3-4. and four. Jake Rush hit a grand slam for Northern, which uh, lost just his second game of the season. They are now 13-2. and two. In high school softball in the Class A sectionals, Kim Minnick allowed just one hit and struck out 12 as Petersburg uh, blanked Moorfield 17 to nothing, Jenna Burgess had a two-run homer, and Minnick helped her own cause, as they say, with a two-run shot as the Vikings outhit the Yellow Jackets a 17-1. And in college basketball, West Virginia released its non-conference schedule for the upcoming season. Mountaineers will play 13 games outside of the Big 12, including the backcourt brawl against Pitt. Mountaineers will host the Panthers on November 12th. Other non-con games include UConn, Eastern Kentucky, uh, three neutral site games in the Shriners Children's Charleston Classic in South Carolina, and 
a yet-to-be-determined SEC team in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And that is uh, your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, today is Friday, which means my main man, Joe Shuda, has another Rush Friday feature for us. You can catch all of Joe's stuff on his website, Two Minute Time, or I'm sorry, Two Minute TO.com. It's not Two Minute Timeout, although we do air his Two Minute Timeouts. It's the number Two Minute TO.com. Today, Joe catches up with former major leaguer, spent some time with the Pirates, Lyle Overbay. So here is my main man, Joe Shuda, with today's Rush Friday feature. It's time for the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. My guest on the Rush Friday feature spent all or parts of 14 seasons in Major League Baseball. He joins us from the state of Washington, also known as the Left Coast, Lyle Overbay. Thanks for taking the time to talk a little baseball and life. Yeah, appreciate you giving the time. As you reach 15, 16 years of age, most kids get a feel whether or not they're above average athletically. What about you? Were there certain things that happened? Were you playing against older guys where you could hold your own? I always look back because it's definitely a different game now. I mean, as far as going through high school and going through the options to play. I mean, we played for a Legion team and I was a younger and I got to play up but it wasn't that it was spectacular and and when I was 18 I was still playing for that team too I mean I always dreamed that I wanted to become a major league baseball player but it was never for me it was just about playing the game I I mean I loved playing it I didn't care when it was where it was and I didn't really try to do anything to make sure that I was getting ahead you know I I feel like some of these kids are pressured to, to have to play so many games and play against the best competition to get ahead we are joined by Lyle Overbay in the Rush Friday feature. You made the decision to go to college, and eventually you were drafted by the Diamondbacks. But again, in college, were you thinking that you had a shot to be drafted to play Major League Baseball? You know, going through your freshman, sophomore year, obviously you don't get, you're not able to get drafted. But you start putting numbers up that are close to where these other guys, that your teammates that are juniors and seniors, they put numbers up there. And you so you kind of start comparing. It's like, okay, well, I did that. So, you know, I should be able to get that opportunity. So, I mean, that's kind of where it was. It's just weird because I, I think you have your goals. But I never went into a game and be like, oh, I got to get these hits and do this because it's going to get my average up or do this. It was just, I, I don't know, it's just weird how things have changed a little bit to where it's, it's not about the team as much anymore. And I mean, I'd have teammates that were playing for themselves and they, they were all about the draft. And I was just like, man, I'm like, if you just take care of business and I mean, the draft will happen, you know. So my junior year, I thought I was going to get drafted and I didn't. One of the best things that ever happened to me was go back to my senior year and play. So those kind of blessings in disguise. <laughs> that you that you look back on and and that was one of them you're drafted by the diamondbacks the 18th round you go to the minors and i talked to so many guys that initially you've been one of the better guys from your area now you have all of the better players that you're up against were there times when you said do i belong here <laughs> yes, <laughs> every every day. <laughs> I never played a summer team or a baseball season with a wood bat. So when I got drafted, 
I had never really hit with a wood bat. I mean, just occasionally in batting practice or, you know, that kind of thing, not a, not a game and not against some of the best pitching you're ever, you've, you've ever seen. So it was definitely a, an eye opener. And the first couple games in, in, uh, Missoula, I, I went to Missoula and played that short season there. And, and, and I just, I just kind of told myself, I'm like, all right, let's, let's just give it it and, and hit the ball. I mean, just swing as hard as you can kind of thing and make sure that if you do hit it, it's going to go. Cause we, we were in, in that era with, the, with the aluminum bats that they were they were hot I mean they were jumping off the bat you know I mean they so it was definitely different in that aspect and then throw in the factor that these pitchers are drafted and they're the top of the game uh, I was just like okay this is uh, yeah where where do I where, where do I fit in September the 19th 2001 your debut what do you remember about that Oh man, I, there's lots of stories there. I mean, it it started with. I mean, obviously we we went through the September 11th thing um, where we were off um, for a week because that uh, because of the September 11th. Uh, we flew to flew to Colorado. Uh, I think that was our first game back. Uh, batting practice. I mean, I um we're taking batting practice and we're you know the September call ups. We're, we're we get probably five ten minutes to hit <laughs> on the field. So thinking there's no chance I'm getting in the game. <laughs> there's no, I mean, it's hundred percent chance. And, uh, I was sitting at the end of the dugout and Bob Melvin comes up and he gets about halfway to the du- end of the dugout and he's, he kind of points and he says, Hey, you're, you're leading off the next inning. And I kind of turned around looking to see who he was talking about. Cause he, I was like, he's not talking to me. <laughs> and he's like, no, you, and I was like, Oh, so I, uh, I, I got up and I took the first pitch. We were down. So I knew, I knew that the, the pitcher was, was going to, was going to be aggressive with me. And so I just, I, I'm like, Hey, let's just put a good swing on it. And I was a nervous wreck, but <laughs> it was, it was God. It was fun. It was, it was great because my family got to see it couldn't have written it up as good as it came out to be i mean that's um i think the biggest thing like you said i i can't even remember the the pitcher's name jay powell um, jay powell jay powell sing, okay. single to right single to right field line drive that's what yeah. it says on the internet and we know yeah, the internet, we know the internet doesn't lie right <laughs> <laughs> right yes no that was that is definitely right but the the one thing that i that has stuck with me is I, so I got the base hit, and I think I think there was one out because I think the next guy ended up hitting a ground ball double play to end the game. So if you if you ever watch a major league game, when that happens, the the guys go up to the clubhouse, you know, and then the 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 winning team shakes hands, you know. So then the the losing team goes grabs their stuff and goes straight up to the clubhouse. Well, I mean, I'm on the field and I just got doubled up, you know, and I I just lit into second base, so I'm kind of jogging off the field and <laughs> I get emotional. <laughs> Because it was a big deal, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I was coming off the field, and Tony Womack and Matt Williams was on the front, you know, on the top step. And I, I mean, that was—I I just thought, I'm like, well, okay, we're in a playoff race. These guys probably didn't have a good game. We lost, and that's what they did. Yeah, and I just—I I just thought I was like, man, this is—that means more than the base hit. Well, now the thing you should have done was announced your retirement. You would have retired being batting 1,000, right? <laughs> right, right. I should have just dropped the bat and, or, you know, dropped the mic and said, I'm out. <laughs> hey, we are joined by Lyle Overbay in the Rush Friday feature. You were with Arizona for 2001, 2, and 3, and then you get traded. And the reaction, some guys say, wait a minute, why don't they want me? But on the other hand, obviously the Brewers wanted you. What were your feelings about being traded? Yeah, those were those those were exact. I mean, it was like, okay, well, I, I 
because it's hard to not take it personal. You know, I mean, you're there and, and they give you the job and then they're looking for something else. And, and I think, but again, you talked about the blessing in disguise. That was one of the best things that ever happened to me because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to get stuck in the, in the minor leagues and get stuck there and, and have to, you know, fight my way through it. It was, this was an opportunity with the Brewers. They were young. Um, we got a bunch. I mean, there was six of us that went over there that were major league ready. Well, you had two so. good years with them. You had the 16 homers, hit 301 in 2004, 2005, 19 homers, hit 276. You were a fan favorite there. I think it was the, they called it the Buckethead Brigade. And every Tuesday they would have that kind of section and they would just kind of have a theme. And, and I think one theme was just, hey, they, they started doing that. And then it just kind of caught on from there. So it was fun. I, I love Milwaukee. I mean, the people are great. They just love to watch good baseball. I mean, it didn't matter if the other team was made a diving catch. They were just, they were excited to see baseball. And they were just excited to see people kind of hustle and have a, have a sense of urgency, I think, more than anything. And I think that's what we brought. Well, we do know that baseball is a business, and you get traded now to the Blue Jays. And what are, what are you saying? Okay, you had two good years there. What, what was that all about? I was basically, and, and I knew this from the beginning because they drafted um, Prince Fielder. So it was just a matter of time when he was going to be ready. And when he was ready, that's when I was on my way out. That that was that, and it wasn't personal. It was it was just more of hey, we we've got this guy, and and I get it. I mean, he's 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 special. I mean, that's he does. I I got nothing that to offer compared to him. Well, you had a great year in 2006. You played in 157 games, 46 doubles, 22 homers. You hit 312. What's going well when you're in that groove where where things just seem like guys have told me that. The ball at times looks like a beach ball. Then, of course, other times it looks like a golf ball or, or a pea coming up there. But what about that year? What was going right for you? I think it was just the consistency. I mean, um, I, I look back and because I, I, I think I was I, I think that was probably the, the most consistent. I was with everything. I was most consistent getting into the batting cages. I was most consistent getting into uh, the weight room, getting in there, just that routine that um, I, I it, it's crazy because the next year I tried to do the exact same thing and it didn't work. But that's those are those are the kind of things that I think that kind of made it that year. But I, I felt comfortable. I mean, I felt strong throughout that year where I, I don't think I felt that way. Um, and, and I remember that from in my first year in Milwaukee, I talked to Lance Burke and he's like, man, it took me three, four years before I felt strong throughout the whole year. Cause you get those dog days of August and you struggle and sure enough, you, I mean, you're, you're struggling and, and you can't, you're fighting to get yourself out of it. So I think that was probably my biggest part. I mean, I, I felt like I was in a good spot in the lineup. Um, I had guys in front of me that were taking a lot of the pressure off and, and I had guys behind me that were picking me up. So it was, I, I was really relaxed. I think part of that too was going into a different league. They didn't really know who I was and kind of make them pay for it a little bit. So, The next year you're hit by a pitch, you break your hand. And is it fair to say that was sort of not the beginning of the end, but you saw a decline because, I mean, let's face it, Physically, if you're an athlete, something like that happens, things may not be the same. The average person breaks their hand or whatever. You know, they can continue in their job, you know, almost every job. But what happened there with you after that? I didn't change anything. But if you look at my swing, it, I started finishing lower. And I don't know, I don't ever remember doing that. And I know 
I was very conscious of it and I tried to change it. And for some reason, I couldn't get to where I was finishing high again. And, and it, it didn't make sense to me. This is where I struggled too, because it didn't make sense to me because my, you know, my broken hand, it was, it was actually just as strong, if not stronger than my left hand, you know? So I'm like, okay, it's not strength. And part of it was, I think, stretching and all that too. And I, and I stretched it, it was tight, but still I'm like, that shouldn't affect me in my swing. And, and I just, I could never get right. And I, and to this day, I'm still like, I'm not blaming it on that because I'm like, no, I can still make adjustments. It's just, it, I could never, I was never consistent. And I, I just, I was like, gosh, I, I, because I, I'm not one of those guys that just, you know, I can I blame it on that. And I'm like, because I'm like, no, I was, I was getting back. I was strength. I mean, obviously I think the year that I broke it and I came back, I was, I wasn't a hundred percent, but I had the whole off season to get ready, you know? So I was getting strong. I was getting to what I needed to do, you know, hitting back to normal, that kind of thing. So it just, I, I it was weird because I just didn't feel like I did, but it, I, I couldn't really pinpoint it, but it just, it was um, uh, you know, the reason it just, it boggles my mind still to this day, as you can tell. <laughs> Joining us on the Rush Friday feature, Lau Overbay, you declare free agency November the 1st, 2010, and then you look at the transactions, Pirates, Arizona, Braves, Red Sox, Yankees, Brewers. Obviously, there was interest in you, but you're going from one team to another. And, and how are you viewing your career? What are you thinking at that point? Whereas, you know, it seems like, you know, every other day you're changing teams. That was the kind of player I was towards the end of my career. I was like, I'm just, I want to, I didn't need to prove anything else. I wanted to win a championship. And and I was trying to get on some opportunities to to do that. And that's where I kind of just got that, just kind of, that's what kind of ends up happening is you kind of just start moving, moving teams each year as, as you become a free agent because you're not a, not an everyday player and that's not what they're looking for they're not going to spend a lot of time and effort trying to sign those kind of guys so it's kind of like okay well we'll wait and kind of see what where all the other guys sign and then then you kind of fill in the spots but you're always you kind of get into that point where it's like okay well now we're we can sign with a team that might not be the best team that you wanted to, but you get halfway into the season, you're going to be one of those guys that they look to trade to kind of add for, you know, two or three months to help you. So those are the kind of things you start looking forward to. And, and I didn't like that because I wanted to be, I, you know, the team that I signed with, I wanted to be with them and I was, I wanted to do that. I wanted them to go to the championship, you know, go to the world series, go to the playoffs, do that stuff. So I didn't like putting that in my head, but it just, it's, you know, you end up doing it anyway, and it's like, Frank, not, no, <laughs> let's not talk about that. Let's, let's worry about what we're doing here. But You had your big opportunity after you got your first hit to retire, but you did do it right <laughs> because on May the 29th, 2014, you pitched, you finished, you have a 0.00 ERA that will never change. Were you thinking about a comeback maybe as a knuckleball pitcher or something? Oh, man, that was I, – I, I tell everybody I played, you know, how, however many games in the big leagues um, at first base, you know, over whatever it was. And I said, the game is relaxed and you're, you're under control playing that many games. Well, when I went out and pitched, there was a million things going in my head. I mean, I'm getting there. I'm warming up. I'm like, okay, you know, just trying to get – just throw strikes. I'm like, just let's do this. And umpire comes up to me. He's like, hey, just make sure you come set. You know, you don't want to – and I'm like, I got to think about that too. You know, I just – I mean, the my head was – spinning and I, I was just like oh man I'm this is not good 
I end up only pitching like five or six pitch. I think I went to a three, two count. So I pitched six pitches. So I, I just threw it slow enough. I mean, that was my biggest thing. I, I got to a two, one count, I think, or a two, oh, count, or I think, a, yeah, one, one or two. I think it was a two, one count and Martin Maldonado, he was catcher and he put down a fastball. I was like, you know what? I'm not, I might not be able to throw a curveball ever. So I'm like, I'm shaking him off. I wanted to throw a curveball <laughs> just because I couldn't throw, a, I couldn't throw a strike anyway. So, but I end up bouncing it. So I had to throw the fastball, but the, the next pitch, the, the umpire, and it was up in the zone or whatever, but I mean, it could have went either way. It could have been definitely, I think if a real pitcher was on there, he probably might've called it a ball, but he called it a strike. And I said, okay, I've got him. Cause the one thing as a position player you don't do is strike out. You know, that's like the worst thing you could do. You can get out from a opposing position player pitcher, but you don't strike out. So it's like, he, I just knew that wherever, if I just put that ball close enough, he was going to swing at it. So, and, and it's funny because Ryan Domit is the guy I faced. He's, he's, he lives about three hours away from me. <laughs> Some final moments with Lyle Overbay. If you could go back and change anything about your career, obviously you, you can't change being hit by a pitch, but would you change anything? Man, I don't, I think probably just making sure I've, I live in the moment every time. Um, there's some times where I, I just, I, I get, you know, you get caught up in, in doing your job and, and sometimes that um, results into, um, not not looking at the fan or giving an autograph here and there it's like okay i gotta go do this you know it kind of ends up being a little selfish and and i just i i started noticing that towards the end of my career i was like okay what wait a second these there's going to be a time where these people aren't going to ask for your autograph and they idolize you and it's like just you know so i i think it i think that's the biggest thing is maybe just take you know, just a little more time. And, and, and I get it. Cause I, I mean, there's, you know, guys, you'll sign a hundred autographs and, and you'll walk away and that hundred and first person's, you know, bad mouth in you. And it's like, come on, really? You know, I just, so, but it's, I, I just, I just felt like towards the end of my career, I saw that and I kind of looked back and I was like, man, I wish I would have just, just taken a little bit more time. It, you know, like I said, I'm not going to take another four or five hours, that kind of thing, but it, just another little bit time, you know, each day, just because that could have been the only kid's time that he's ever gone to a game and his only chance that he's got, you know? So I just, I felt like I missed that opportunity. Do you get a lot of fan mail still? You know, the, during the kind of the COVID shutdown, we did get a lot. I just was like, Hey, this, I'm going to sign them and send them. And I think I, I might've opened a can of worms because I think they have, they're like, Hey, I got this back. So let's send more, you know, kind of thing. So, but you know what? I, at the end of the day, I'm like, Hey, it, if it makes somebody happy, then great. Um, it doesn't take me too long. And, and like I said, there's not going to be too much longer that people aren't, are going to ask for that. So it, it might take me a while to get to get it to it, but cause I let it pile up a little bit and then, and then do it. But we, uh, we had some time during the COVID shutdown. So I, I was able to, to hopefully, uh, make some people smile or something. So what about anybody ever say over Bay? There was a guy who played baseball. Are you related to him? <laughs> Do you ever have that? Yes, it's funny because I, I think it happened yesterday. To be honest, <laughs> I was—I don't know where I was, but I was. They're like, "Hey, what's your name again?" And I, you know, I'll say it. I just—I'm not. Uh, like, man, I there used to be an overbay that played that. <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> so, and then they then they realize when they they're like, "Oh, that, that's you, isn't it?" I'm like, well, it used to be. I'm just washed up, has been now. So, <laughs> hey, finally, Lyle, what's the future for you? 
Oh man, I uh, well, I've got six kids, so invest in the time in them. But I've I've actually taken the um, the local high school that my kids go to. Um, I'm the head coach there for their baseball program, so I'll be doing that for as long as they'll keep me, I guess, and as long as I enjoy it. I enjoy it, so I, I love coaching and being a part of it and just kind of being involved with that i think that's kind of you know everybody's like well what about college or pros and i was like i ah, just the the time commitment i just i i think i got out of the out of the game because of the time commitment more than anything and obviously it's it's a young man's sport anyway so i was getting old so <laughs> that was part of it too but i felt like that was i, I just don't want to i felt like this is a good commitment where i'm not sacrificing a whole lot for my family so Hey, Lau, great speaking with you. I really enjoyed that, you know, reminiscing about these times. Once again, uh, best of luck to you. Uh, you had a great career. You know, 24% of professional players make that 10-year mark, and you're one of those. So that, that says a lot about your career, and you were obviously a fan favorite, put a lot of time in, and you, know, you were remembered by so many people. That part, I didn't realize that, the 10-year, how big of a mark that was. I wasn't a superstar, you know, but to be able to get that 10 years, that was a pretty big deal, and I and I just kind of that one kind of hit me a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, that is kind of cool, you know. So very fortunate and very blessed to be able to to do that for so long. Thanks for joining us. Best of luck to you. All right. This is the morning rush. Thanks once again to Joe Shuda. Another Rush Friday feature with a former major leaguer, an emotional. Uh, Lyle Overbay. If you miss any of that, you can check it out on our podcast page uh, later on this morning. Today is, I just found this out, very exciting, I guess. Uh, today is National Donut Day. Do you know that? National Donut Day. I just saw this uh, poll question. Is that redundant, a poll question? It's it's a poll, right? On the uh, Twitter machine. Who makes the best donuts? Dunkin', Krispy Kreme, Tim Hortons, or Duck Donuts? Now, you may not be familiar with a couple of those because Tim Hortons is mainly up in uh, Canada. Uh, Duck Donuts not really that well-known around here. You'll, you'll find a lot of them down south. Although they are they are migrating up north. I got to tell you, for my money, uh, it's Duck Donuts. I'm sorry. If I had to pick, now don't get me wrong. I'm not going to turn away any donut from any of those four places. All right? That's just not how I roll. But given a choice, I'm taking Duck Donuts. And I experienced the duck a couple of years ago in Myrtle Beach. I had never even heard of duck donuts until a couple of years ago. And they're just fantastic. They will put pretty much anything you want on a donut. The maple bacon duck. Oh, oh, forget about it. Forget about it. All of those are delicious. I mean, right now in this particular poll, uh, Krispy Kreme is actually uh, leading the pack. Duncan is, I can't remember the last time I've had a Dunkin' Donut, which may actually change here because aren't, aren't they building one in the veil? Did I, I thought I saw a sign. Did I? Wasn't that a song by uh, Ace of Bass? Saw the sign, something like that. 
But I haven't had a Dunkin' Donut in forever. And Tim Hortons, I can't remember. The, you now, if you ever had a Timbit, which is basically a donut hole, those are very good. Tim Hortons does, by the way, make the best breakfast sandwiches ever. Ever. It's delish. Uh-oh. Now, here's an opinion that I value very highly. Nobody, and I mean nobody, uh, charts, graphs, documents his uh, eating habits no more than my main man, Chapin Jewel. Anywhere he goes, and he does a lot of traveling because he is, after all, the hardest working man in regional sports. And he always talks about on, on Facebook where he stops, places he eats, kind of gives him a little bit of a, you know, gives him some love. Like I was talking about the Italian place in Fairmont earlier. People call it murials. There's no way it's murials. It's got to be murialis. It has to be. It's Italian. Chapin checks in. He says the Springs store in Springs, Pennsylvania, 10 out of 10 best donuts. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. But if Chapin says it's legit, it's got to be legit. The Springs store in Springs, PA. Chapin says 10 out of 10. I smell a road trip coming up uh, (laughs) in the near future. Why not? Why not today? It's National Donut Day. Except I don't know where Springs, PA is. It's hard to tell because Chapin travels everywhere for all kinds of sporting events. So I'm not quite sure where Springs is. Oh, and Chapin tells me, right? Johnny on the spot. Chapin on the spot. It's just outside of Grantsville. <laughs> just <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. All right, so there you go. The Spring Store. Let's all uh, celebrate uh, National Donut Day. All right, uh, two games. I'm hungry now. Two games on tap last night in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, and both went to overtime to Hamilton. He'll send the puck across. Terravine out for Al Hoogie score! On the power play in overtime! The call on 99-9. The fan, Jordan Stahl, scoring at 557 of OT to give Carolina a a 3-2 win over Tampa Bay to get right back in the series. Canes now trail uh, two games to one road team. Has won all three games of that series. Sebastian Ajo, a goal and two helpers for Carolina. Game four is tomorrow afternoon in Tampa. In the other game last night, game three, between the Islanders and Bruins on the island, that series tied 1-1. The game tied 1-1, heading into overtime. Long strides out to center ice. Carries it in. Hands to Marchand, far circle. Shoots. He scores! with a dart that goes top shelf by Varlamov and he shocks the crowd here at the Coliseum. Bruins win it 2-1 to one in overtime and they take a two games to one lead. The call on 98.5, the sports hub, Brad Marchand, the game winner, 336 into the extra sesh. Two, as you just heard Jack Edwards say, give Boston a 2-1 win and a 2-1 series lead. Craig Smith also scored for Boston. Tuka Rask made 28 saves, including five in OT. 
But it was Marchand, the hero of the night. Here's ESPN's Barry Melrose. God, I think he's the best winger in the NHL. That means the world. He's small in stature, big in heart. He fights anybody. He blocks shots. Uh, He gets a puck out around the wall every night. When you need a big goal, he gets it. Uh, The guy is a fantastic hockey player. He's a fantastic leader. Uh, That's why the Boston Bruins are able to lose three or four leaders and not miss a beat because of guys like Bergeron and Marchand. So I I love him, too. He'd be on my team any day of the week, uh, Brad Marchand. In other puck news, the NHL and the Department of Player Safety dropped the hammer on Winnipeg's Mark Shifley, suspending him for four games for his malicious hit on Montreal's Jake Evans. Uh, Evans had to be taken off the ice on a stretcher after he scored an empty net goal and Shifley just blew him up. The NHL called it a quote-unquote high predatory hit with quote-unquote Excessive momentum gained from traveling a considerable distance. Yeah, like the entire length of the ice. Dude went 200 feet to take a run at Evans, who who really never saw the hit coming. And after completely butchering the Tom Wilson situation against the Rangers... Uh, Melrose says the NHL, he got or they got this one right. Winnipeg just lost their best player for four games, and they're down in the series now. Uh, but the, the bottom line is that it was deserved. It was a bad hit. Uh, it was a hit close to the head. Uh, it was a charge from center ice. Uh, you could have played the puck. You didn't have to play the body right there. Uh, so there are a lot of things that made my determination that it should have been a suspension. And we found out today there was a suspension four games. So I think the NHL got it right. I think that it's tough news for Shifley because he's so valuable to their team. I'm hoping that he'll get to play some games in the next round. But uh, it's going to be tough with uh, him gone because uh, he's so so valuable to their team. Now the Jets minus Shifley will host the Canadiens for game two of their series tonight. In the other game this evening... The Avalanche look to take a 3-0 series lead when they take on the Golden Knights in Las Vegas. All right, one really quick break. Then we'll be back to wrap up the show. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. Cumber, oh, almost did it. Caught myself. How about Cumberland's uh, WCMD? This is the Morning Rush. And I wanted to get to this real quick before we get out of here today. Now, we talked about this yesterday. A longtime Duke coach, Mike Krzyzewski, announced he will retire after the 2021-22 season. He will hand the reins over to John Shire, who played for Coach K at Duke. Krzyzewski surrounded by family, friends, Shire, spoke publicly for the first time yesterday since the news of his retirement uh, was announced. Most of us get a certain number of opportunities. Some of us get more than others. The best opportunities are the opportunities that are backed up with belief. You know, my mom told me when I was in high school at Weber, she said, Michael, whenever she had something important it was Michael Michael always be with good people and I followed her advice my whole whole life and so when I was at West Point how lucky can you get 
I'm at the greatest leadership school in the world, the greatest character building school in the world, and I'm playing for one of the greatest coaches of all time in Bob Knight. Boom, boom, boom. Those aren't punches that knock you out. Those are punches that give you that leadership character, the knowledge of playing for you know, a brilliant, brilliant coach. How lucky can you get? I can get a lot more lucky. I get to serve in the Army, and uh, after I do my service, and the, uh, Coach Knight gives me an opportunity to go to Indiana and go to graduate school. I'm there for one year. They have one of the greatest teams of all time. I learned there. And then at 28, you think Shire's young. He's 33. I was 28, although, you know, more handsome you know, at that time in my life. And, uh, in my opinion, Marcel, not in your opinion. All right. And uh, uh, the people at West Point believed in me. I got that opportunity, and as a result, we turned around a 7-44 and 44 program into a 73-59 and 59 program. And then you get lucky again. Yeah, interview for the Duke job. And the guy who had the most belief in me was Tom Butters. He really believed in me. And he believed in me multiple times. And he gave me this opportunity. And after three years, most people wanted that opportunity to go to someone else. I guess that's a nice way of saying they wanted to get rid of me. But not the guy who believed in me. Not the guy who believed in me. My opportunities were followed with belief. Now, Coach K talking about belief. There are some folks who believe, there was some speculation, some outlets citing an unnamed source, that say that Coach K is retiring because of changes in the game, like, you know, the transfer portal and players starting to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Also, some speculation that Shashevsky was stepping down for health reasons. And he said that none of that is true. This is not about... Uh health. Mickey and I, whether we look like she does, whether I look healthy, I am. It's not about COVID or saying, boy, that year was so bad. I don't want, it's not about that. It's certainly not about what's going on with college basketball, where, boy, the game's changing. All right. I've been in it for 46 years. You mean the game's never changed? You know, in the progression of the game, we have always had to adapt to the changes in culture, the changes in rules, the changes in the world. We're going through one right now. That's not the reason. Those aren't the reasons. Those would be bad reasons, especially the health one. The reason we're doing this is because Mickey and I have decided the journey's going to be over in a year. And we're going to go after it as hard as we possibly can. And then we'll be a part of Duke's continuing journey, like President Price said, for as long as we're around. For as long as we're around. Now, even if he was 
stepping away because the game is changing too much. Who cares? And there were people, you know, you had the, the Twitty-its yesterday criticizing Coach K, you know, oh, well, he's leaving. How, you know, how dare players make money so he's leaving? He's been in the game for 46 years. If he doesn't want to deal with certain changes, like sometimes you just, you're tired of changing, right? Sometimes you get tired of it. The transfer portal, which I hate with a passion, it's the one of the worst things that ever happened to collegiate sports. If you don't want to deal with that after 46 years of coaching, why should you? After his run with his track record, it's not like he, you know, it's not like he's a spring chicken anymore. And this is his third or fourth year of coaching when it's easier to roll with the changes. He's been in it for almost 50 years. If certain changes are, sometimes you're too old to change. Sometimes you had enough. Now he says that's not the reasons, and I believe him. Maybe it's just time after a while. You know, it's just time to go. But if he doesn't like the changes and figures it's time to get out, so what? So be it. All right, speaking of time to go, it's time for me to go. Show's over. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have yourself a great weekend. And we'll see you back here Monday, 6 a.m. sharp. Amanda's coming up next. Try to stay today. Stick around for her. I'll be back Monday. Morning Rush. Tony C. Done. Done.